every entrepreneur, you need to develop grit. And I think you need to practice gratitude. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that, so developing grit, it, there is no easy business. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it and nobody would be willing to pay you for it. Mm -hmm. And so you're doing something hard. You're going to have days that are awful. <laughs> you're going to have days that your partner's depressed, you're depressed, you don't feel like you can go forward and it, you don't know what to do. And that's where I feel like you really have to take a step back and say, okay, I need to have the same passion and excitement that I had on day one for this project right now in this moment, because that's the only way that we're gonna get through this. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that has uh, built several startups into seven and eight figure companies, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we uh, help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademark. If you ever need help yourself, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com. And now uh, we have another great uh, guest on the episode. Name is Manti, er, Manti Gleason. And uh, Manti, just as a way of a quick introduction, started his business, I think, in around 2015. And it started as, I think, it, or out of the senior project at BYU. So go Cougars. So my alma mater as well. So it's always fun to talk to a fellow BYU grad. Um, and was doing that. Uh, and uh, as it was started, I think, as drones and was looking at some battery technologies to how to make batteries work better, charge faster, be, you know, basically more efficient and better batteries. And out of that, you know, needing it for drones kind of evolved into what you guys do today, which I think still includes drones, but kind mm -hmm. of is, is continuing to expand your services and how the batteries are, what features they have and, and all of that good stuff. So with that much of an introduction, welcome onto the podcast, Manti. Great. Thanks so much, Devin. Great to be on with you. So I did kind of a, a very quick, or quick and brief summary or overview of how you kind of got into where you're at today. But now take us back in time a little bit. Let's hear you kind of were doing your or doing your senior projects at BYU and how did you get into what you're doing? Yeah. So I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. All of the people that I've looked up to throughout my life, all my mentors, they've all been entrepreneurs and um, influenced me a lot. I've started a few different little businesses just. As I was growing up, I, I've always kind of been self-employed, just doing little odd things here and there, um, whether it was selling hay or teaching horse lessons, I, I, landscaping stuff. I've done so a bunch of different I gotta, things there. Jumping in, I know I just interrupted, but selling hay is an interesting one. So did you haul, haul hay or did you guys live on a farm or did you just go randomly buy hay and resell it? So I actually, I we have horses and so I got into it just out of necessity, we were buying a lot of hay for our horses. And I realized this is kind of a pain for a lot of people in the Salt Lake Valley who don't live in a rural area to get access to hay for their animals. And so mm. just, well, I, I had just barely got my driver's license. And so I recruited my two younger brothers and said, hey, I'll buy you a hamburger if you come up to Cache Valley with me. We'll buy a trailer load of hay take it down, we'll store it in our barn until wintertime, and then we'll jack up the price and we'll sell it for four times as much as we paid for it. And we should make a good, good amount of money and mm. started out just like that. And it ended up growing into a lot more. And that's, that's actually how I kind of built my savings early on for, for some of my other projects. So it was a fun little side hustle. I, I, I enjoyed it. 
I, I don't miss bucking all the hay though. <laughs> it was a lot hey, of work. I grew, I, you know, I, kindred spirit. I, I didn't get paid. I just got to go and help out the family at Hall Hay. So my grandpa was a farmer and he had cows and everything. So when the season came around, we, we would get the hay cut. We'd all throw it up on the trailer and, and uh, we'd all pitch in. So certainly understand that's a cool, hence why it caught my attention. So always grew up in, and it's fun to always hear, you know, I always had the aspirations. I hope my kids and I always loved, you know, start small businesses, but my kids grow up looking for opportunities to work and to, you know, expand skills and figure that out and always do that. So I think that's cool that you grew up in that kind of, uh, you know, environment as well. So now back to, so you did, you know, always an entrepreneur growing up, always had that bent, you know, did different companies that are doing it. Now you're at the senior project and kind of having that same thing. So how did that, how did your senior project kind of or take that same evolution? Yeah. So while I was at BYU, I knew I wanted to study business and I was really interested in entrepreneurship just because of a lot of the classes. BYU had a great program. I think they were ranked number two in the country at the time while I was there. So they offered amazing curriculum, really awesome professors. I had some great mentors down there. And while I was there early on, they kind of push you towards picking, developing a business. And so I started working with my friends on a few different side projects. Um, Some of those took off for my friends, some didn't. And then as we started going into this, drones started becoming more and more popular. This was, uh, like I said, early, probably, yeah, 2013, 2014, 2015, that whole time period. So DJI drones, the little phantoms, they were taking off. And Mm. we, my dad and I, my dad is a software developer and does a lot of IT stuff as well. And so he, he and I were talking and we thought it would be super cool if we wrote some software for one of these little drones to follow my little brother while he was on the football field. So we didn't have to film his football games. We could just have the drone follow him. And Mm. so we started working on that and I figured, hey, maybe this could turn into my senior project. We'll do the software, spin it out. It could be a really cool thing. Then we realized we couldn't keep the drones in the air and Mm. you had to buy a bunch of batteries to keep them in the air, a bunch of chargers. They were really slow. It was hard to manage all the batteries. And so we started looking for different options for, for doing that and then slowly as as we started reading up and doing a bunch of research we just started pulling this idea here this idea here and putting it together until eventually we had a pretty cool system that did everything that your your manual would tell you to do as far as taking care of the batteries and and what Mm. you can do to charge the fastest and then we started doing research on top of that we reached out to a couple different engineering firms and started working with them um just building out a multi-port Um, battery charger for drones that could keep Mm. up with what we were trying to do Mm. and started out really rocky really slow um, made a lot of mistakes along the way but we built out a pretty cool platform for these drones that allowed us to be able to keep the same drone up that was taking 12 batteries we could do the same job with four batteries Mm. and we were able to keep those batteries healthy and lasting longer than our batteries with our traditional chargers, just because we were optimizing everything we could to keep Hmm. those batteries healthy. And so at first our our idea was, Hey, we're going to sell these boxes. We started talking to and working with some different drone distributors that we had connections to, and it was looking like a great opportunity. And one thing led to another and and we kind of got sucked into feature creep, which 
I'll talk about a little bit more later, but mm. we got sucked into that and that held us back from, from really selling the product at the time. And, but, but it also helped us expand our vision a little bit more beyond just a charging box. And we realized that there was really an opportunity here, not just for battery charging, but for battery care as a whole, um, mm. where we could kind of look at it and say, okay, these batteries right now, it, this may not be a big deal for a hobbyist that's flying a drone or for somebody who just has a drill that they're trying to put a few screws in while they're doing a building project. But but we could really see that this battery revolution was on the verge of taking off. And, and that's kind of where we're at today, where we're seeing this battery revolution where drones and delivery robots and warehouse robotics even I mean, I was at the store the other day and now you can buy a snowblower that's battery powered and there's all these mm -hmm. electric vehicles. And so we started seeing this as we were getting into this project, developing this first multi-port charger. And we realized there was more to it that if we gathered all the data from these batteries, it would be really helpful for managing fleets of batteries. It would be really helpful for optimizing charge profiles mm -hmm. so that it wasn't just a simple algorithm that we put in once, but we could actually learn from that data. And, and we could also push out further advancements for charging and battery care so that these batteries last longer, they're safer, and you're able to operate with less battery equipment. So that's, that's kind of where we, we've evolved into now, where we have more of a, a battery care platform versus just battery charging. So we do the charging, the maintenance, and the management with the opportunity of implementing new um, technology as it comes out. So now diving into that just a little bit, cause I think that's an interesting, cause it, it, it sounds, I don't know if it quite sounds like a pivot, but an expansion, but was it, you know, simply that simple of, Hey, we've got a platform now let's do it. Was it, Hey, we want to expand, you know, and you talked a little about feature creep and we dive into that minute, but you know, how did you decide, Hey, we're going to go from, a drone, you know, first of all, from a, a bit, a bit of a hobby or so to speak, to be able to do your, you know, brother on the football game to, Hey, we can actually do this as a project. Then you'd say, no, let's do this as an actual company to, Hey, this is more than drones was that, you know, that leap from, Hey, this is drones. And we're going to start that as a business to more of a battery care. Was that kind of an intentional, you know, development of the company? Was it a falling into it? Was it a pivot or how did you kind of end up at that place? Yeah. Great question. So it was definitely something where, we developed that multi-port charger and when we realized hey we could keep this drone in the air with a third of the batteries that it requires otherwise which a little drone that may not matter but we're not talking double a batteries if, if mm. you start looking at some of these batteries that are a thousand dollars a piece and the drone needs two or four or six batteries it starts mm. to add up and so when we realized hey we can do this and, and we started looking at what we were doing to be able to keep those drones in the air. We were collecting a lot of data from the batteries. We we're optimizing the temperature during the charge process. Um, we we're optimizing the flow of the current. So rather than just pushing a flat amount, we were matching it for certain times during the charge, mm -hmm. making these adjustments. And we realized that data could be just as valuable as a whole rather than just in the charging situation. And so that it kind of, we were kind of pushed that direction naturally just as we started looking at the assets that we were gathering through this process for our first little multi-port charger that we developed no that's i think that's awesome and you know it makes it 
I think, you know, batteries sometimes feel to be, and maybe, you know, with the exception of a Tesla or someone that just, ha- you know, adds their cars, but a lot of times the battery is almost an afterthought, right? Oh, we, yeah. we go find a standard battery off the shelf. We'll, you know, we'll do that. You know, in my world, you know, I, I would do it from a different, but one of the businesses I, you know, I'm involved with is on the wearable side and they, you know, much, you know, different context, but the same thing is you're trying to cram as much power as you can into a very small and confined space and any way you can optimize that is you know well worth the the time and effort and so i kind of you know it's interesting to see how you guys tackled it for one area and you know how everybody is kind of dealing with this power issue and how if you know if you don't treat if you treat it as an afterthought it can make a suboptimal product and vice versa it can create a much more a better competitive advantage so now as you guys you're growing, you know, you kind of figured out, you got the initially the drone system, you're now kind of looking to expand into other areas. Where do you see kind of the the next six months to a year? Kind of where did this continue to evolve for you guys? Yeah, so it's it's definitely had its bumps in the road as with anybody else with COVID. It's kind of thrown like our supply chain, for example, that's been just so much fun trying to go back and forth with, with different suppliers now amidst COVID. But but it's also opened up some opportunities just to look at um, different areas that we can we can approach. Like there's there's definitely a lot of opportunities um, in academia and within um, military opportunities that we're we're pursuing right now. We've we've made some great partnerships. We're actually we just partnered with Utah State recently, and we're helping them with one of their um, big drone systems that they have. Just be able to build a, a battery care system so that they can keep track of their batteries more effectively and keep those drones in the air. And, and they can use their equipment for what they're really good at. So they're designing some amazing um, cameras and, and software and different things for um, drone agriculture type stuff. And, and so for us to kind of be able to come in and complement what they're doing to help them do what they do best by us coming in and doing what we do best with the battery care, that's been an area that we're really excited about. Um, and we hope to do the same with, with other areas. COVID's kind of put drone delivery and, and robotic delivery on, on the forefront of everybody's mind. It's kind of accelerated things, which we're excited about. We feel like there's some real opportunities there long-term. We'll see how long that, that term is, but um, we feel like if, if we could help cut down the the number of batteries needed by 60% that could be pretty significant for these drone fleets or for these robotic fleets and it may not be that extreme in all cases but we feel like we have a pretty good value proposition for these companies so that's kind of the the area the vision that we have going forward is tapping in first with these these academia and and government areas where they're doing the research for this drone delivery and and things like that and then transitioning more into the commercial side as as the regulation permits that hmm. and so no and i think that makes complete sense you know so it almost sounds like you're saying hey this kind of we started out and almost i'd say high level hobbyist drones right or in the sense of it was hey it's the ones that you take the video you can fly them around and now you're looking at what are the applications that really you know not just nice to have kind of a thing but a really a critical of the battery power is such that you know for the military for delivery services for other areas that they are going to be bigger distances or have that or particular need even more so reinforced that's kind of the areas of, of opportunity that you guys are headed so i think that that sounds cool 
Well, now we are starting to reach, and I left a little bit more time just because it's a, and also a topic that I think is interesting on your biggest mistake, and we talked just a little bit before, but I'll ask you the question, then we'll dive into the topic just a bit more. But before, before we dive in, so first question I always ask as we get towards the end of the podcast is, what was your worst business decision you ever made, and what did you learn from it? So I, like I said, I kind of hinted at this earlier, but feature creep, and this is something I know all of my mentors and friends and the engineers we've worked with and different partners and employees, they're going to cringe because I told you so. <laughs> and <laughs> it's something that I knew that we all knew, but it, it really is a trap that even though I knew it, it's, it's so easy to get sucked into it, especially as an entrepreneur, when you're getting ready to, to launch a product and you feel like, hey, we have one shot at this and we've got to make sure that the product we launch is the biggest, baddest, best solution out there so that we don't get trampled by the competition. And that, that fear of getting crushed by the competition, it forces you into this cycle of, well, if we just did this, we would be that much better. If we just did this, we would be that much better. And, and we totally got sucked into that. And that killed us. That I mean, here we are five years later, and our product is amazing. I feel like we've developed it out a lot more than from just the little multi-port charging box that we had, but we missed out on a lot of revenue, a lot of opportunity that we could have been taking advantage of that would have helped us to grow our team faster, that would have helped us get in front of more people. And it, it was just a big mistake that we should have avoided. Um, and looking back, that's that's a big regret and a big warning that I would give to any entrepreneurs out there is just don't let fear paralyze you to the point that you don't launch when you have that that minimum viable product. And so looking back, I think the way to avoid that is having a scope for your project, which we did, but really sticking to that scope and saying, OK, this is the scope for this product for the first launch. And then we'll set a scope for the next one that's going to have these additional features. So that that's something that going forward, we've definitely implemented that into our business model. No, and I think and where I've ran into it and kind of almost, you know, I think it happens across a lot of different industries. Um, you know, I, I get harped on it by the software guys that I work with and they're kind of the same thing. They're like, oh yeah, here's the, I'm like, oh, this should be a simple feature, right? We can just add this. It won't take you, for, well, that will only take us a month and you know, and this is why and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh yeah, that probably doesn't warrant a month's worth of work and we'd rather do other things. But it is so easy because you have, especially if you're the inventor, you're the, you know, the idea guy, you come up with it, you can see so many paths and so many things to add. And some of them, first of all, are just bad ideas if you were to stand back and say, Nobody else, other than me, that thinks that's really cool, nobody else will pay for it. Or even if they're good ideas, you, to your point, you start to you start to hold off your product too long and you miss your markets and you, you know, you miss a window or two. I like your point of, you know, it's almost, you worry so much that you only have one shot if you introduce it in the marketplace and it's, it's not the perfect product right out of the chute, at least perfect in your mind that you're going to, you know, it's going to fail and you're never going to be able to recover, which is seldom the case. And Hey, you launch it in there and you get feedback from the marketplace. The feedback is valuable, helps you to even make it better, helps you to know where they're, what the pain points are, what they're going to pay for, what they're not. And kind of i hate the term minimally viable product but 
And I'll give you the, my short reason why. So minimally viable product in my mind always sounds like you're putting out the crappiest product you can as quick as you can. And I'm like, well, I yeah. don't want to put out a crappy product, but I think, you know, more, I would say maximally viable product, but more of look at your constraints, look at how much time, what your budget is, when you need to do it, what the scope and the, spe the specification are, and then give the product best product you can within that spec or within that scope, but make sure it doesn't hold it up. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's something that we were just so excited. We figured, hey, we're going to have the first battery charger that has an app that's built into it. So you can see the individual cells while they're charging. And mm. but, but our early customers wouldn't have cared about that. It wasn't necessary for for a product that they would be happy with. So you're right. It's not a minimum viable product. It's not like we were going to push out a crappy product. But our customers would have been totally happy with, with what we had. We were just trying to put even more frosting on it so that we would look good compared to the competition and it wasn't needed. Yeah. And I, I think that I think I like that point as well. Cause I mean, and the reason I harp on it and left a little bit more time, because I think that it's one that it happens to almost everybody. I liked your point. It's like, you know, we, you hear about it and everybody's like, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to fall into the same traps. And most of the time you fall into the same traps. You have to learn the lesson sometimes the hard way. Cause I think if we, if I remember now diving into the details, I think where you guys said you made the mistake was, is that you had one battery that was built for the original battery system and they phased it out. Wasn't that part of it as well? Another kind of issue that you ran into is as you put all this time and effort to do that, and now they change the system on you and, you, and all that time and extra effort, first of all, that people weren't paying for but second of all you can't even recoup it anyway yeah exactly we we had focused all this time and energy on this this drone we had done all this market research and these were the drones like these two drones were the ones that were dominating and then right as we're getting ready to roll out our product that we were so proud of the drone manufacturer rolls out their next model and it totally sets us back and so it really forced us to take a step back and and it was a painful step but it also helped us to look at our system and say, okay, how can we avoid this going forward so mm -hmm. that our product doesn't get phased out every year when this drone manufacturer or that drone manufacturer pushes something out? How can we make it a little more dynamic and a little bit more of a product that, that really fills a need so that these manufacturers want our technology to work with their technology? No, I, I think that there's a lot of wisdom in that in the sense, you know, what's always the hardest is anytime your product is dependent on somebody and everybody's to some degree is, but some certainly more so than others, you always have that kind of interdependency and the more robust you can make it that you're not either emboldened to just one individual or one provider and or that you can much more flexibly adapt your product, I think gives you the, the strength that you're talking about. Because I always even look at, you know, sometimes when you do like, apps and that you know and going almost back to the phone apps on the phone and then apple or android or anybody comes out makes the updates and now your app is no longer relevant and you have to put in all that time money and effort again to update it or to revise it or to do a new one it can be that kind of that never-ending cycle so i think you know certainly like the wisdom of sharing that you know make it take the pivot introspectively look at it and say how can we make this so we don't get in that that same trap again yeah with that now we'll jump to the second uh, question i always ask is um so now if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or small business what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them yeah so i would and and maybe this is just the season that we're in but the thing that keeps coming to my mind as i've been thinking about this question is every entrepreneur you need to develop grit and i think you need to practice gratitude 
And mm. what I mean by that, so developing grit, it, there is no easy business. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it and nobody would be willing to pay you for it. Mm. And so you're doing something hard. You're going to have days that are awful. <laughs> you're going to have days that your partner's depressed, you're depressed, you don't feel like you can go forward and it, you don't know what to do. And that's where I feel like you really have to take a step back and say, okay, I need to have the same passion and excitement that I had on day one for this project right now in this moment, because that's the only way that we're going to get through this. And I think it's important too that your family, your partners, your spouse, they need to have that grit too, because an entrepreneurial experience is going to be an all hands on deck for everybody. It doesn't matter what phase you're at. It's, it's taxing on your family, on your partners, on your employees, on you. And so making sure that everybody that you work with has that understanding, has that grit with them will, will definitely help carry you through those down days. And then the practicing or the practicing gratitude side of things, the reason I bring that up, I feel like it does a, a lot of things for you. As an entrepreneur, practicing gratitude, it will help you make and save so many relationships because you're going to strain a lot of relationships when you're going out and you're you're starting a business and you're you're doing this early on you're asking for free advice or you're you're working on a project and it fails or or you're bootstrapping and maybe it doesn't work out just right and you don't pay your investors back as quickly as you wanted to everything that you can do to show the people that you're working with that hey I'm in this I am so grateful for your help It'll help you a lot. And it'll also keep you in a positive mindset where you can take a step back and you can be teachable. Because if you're not teachable, if you're always defensive and, well, this is why I did this and you're wrong for this reason, it, you, can't, you can't learn from your mistakes and you can't go forward. But I feel like if you have that, if you practice gratitude and even when somebody's ripping you apart or has some feedback, if you practice that gratitude and you you look at it a little differently and say, hey, it, yeah, maybe they just ripped my pitch apart or they just ripped my whole technology apart. You can learn from it and you can say, okay, they ripped it apart because of this. What mm. if we change this? And now all of a sudden our product is much more robust. We have something that can really make a difference in the world. And it, it just started with that principle of gratitude where you have that open mindset you're willing to thank somebody for ripping you apart so that you can learn from that. And I, I feel like if you can develop those two things, you're going to make it. No. And, and I like both of those. I, I, I agree. Grit is one that I think sets you up and it, it, you know, however cliche it is or however over, overuse it, it really does come down to everybody thinks that, or a lot of people think that, you know, the dream is to run your own business or to do your own thing. And a lot of people get into it and they find out, Hey, this isn't for me. It's not as fun. It's not, it's not the, e it doesn't look, it always looks a lot easier when somebody else is doing it. Right. In the sense that whenever you see the TV shows or the movies or the, you know, whatever it is, or you talk with somebody, Oh, their business is just so easy. If you were to know almost every business requires a lot of grit. And to your point, there are days, you know, your business, my business that, you just have crappy days. It's just not fun. And you're saying, you know, whether it's how to make payroll, it's how to deal with employees, it's how to deal with product development, it's how to deal with clients, it's how to deal with investors. Not all of that goes right all the time. And so if you don't have that grit, you're just not going to have it. And I like the gratitude. You know, one of the things that I think 
even if being grateful or showing great gratitude, even if you disagree with someone is something that I think is worthwhile. And, you know, that one, I, and the IP firm, we work with a lot of clients and, you know, some clients are awesome to work with and others are less than fun to work with. I'm not going to name which one it is, but you know, some of them are just, they take a lot of work. And so, you know, and sometimes you just get frustrated with them or they, and they, and then they come and yell at you, even though you've written off time, you've done a whole bunch of work because their expectations, but just showing that extra level of gratitude, putting your, your the client first saying, Hey, I'm grateful for your business. This is what we're doing. And those type, I think it goes to your point a long way for those that are along with you, supporting you, whether it's a client, whether it's an investor, whether it's employees or anybody else to show that gratitude as opposed to taking the defense. So I like both of those. I think they're great, both great points to hit on. Well, as we wrap up, if people want to find out more about your business, they want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an investor, they want to be an employee, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, so they can reach out to us on our website. We have a contact page, architectcharge.com, or they can reach us directly. My email is manti at architectcharge.com. I'd love to answer any questions or talk to anybody that, that needs, <laughs> needs an ear. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate coming on. I, I certainly encourage everybody to check out the website. Reach out to Manti if you ever have any anything that he can help you out with. Um, now, if you're a listener, make sure if you uh, if you have your own journey to tell, we'd love to have you on. So go to inventivejourneyguest.com. Apply to be on the podcast. We'd love to share your journey. If you're a listener, make sure to click subscribe so you hear uh, get notifications as all our new awesome episodes come out. And last but not least. If you ever need any help with patents or trademarks, we're always here to help. Just go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time, and we're we'll, uh, always happy to chat with you. Well, thank you again, Manti. Fun to have you on. Been a pleasure. And wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you. You too. Have a great one, Devin. Devin.